This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Amen. We are busy with a series called Ready Call. Ready Call, okay? And so um, I'm going to just highlight a little bit of what we said in last week. If you missed out, remember, especially over the... Student holidays, November, December, all through, you can stream all our services, so then you can still catch up with what we're busy with um, on the Shofar Stellenbosch Facebook page. So welcome also to those people, these special people from the Middle East tonight watching in. So we're just saying welcome to you, the church there in the Middle East. We love you, and we're backing you all the way. So we're talking about radical. What is the word Radical to have real, rooted, authentic relationships, and it's connected in discipleship that is intentional. And so we looked at this little picture last week where we saw that the root, that first little root that springs out from that seed is called the radical. The primary root or radical is the first organ to appear when a seed germinates. It grows downward into the soil, anchoring the seedling. And so there are a lot of people that want to be Christians, but they want to be fundamental. And we've not been called to be fundamental. We've just been called to be radical. And that means that we are rooted in Christ. That means that your life should be different than the people around you. Um, people that are just living in the world because we are a holy people. We are a special generation. And so God is raising up a group of people that are just saying, look here, we are tired of just the emptiness of this world. We want to be authentic. We want to be real. But when we give people religion and dead religion, people think like, no, no, no. I don't want to associate with a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? God does not want to associate with a bunch of hypocrites because a hypocrite is, the word for hypocrite is actually the word actor. It's the same word in the Bible. Like I'm somebody at home, and then when I'm out there, I'm somebody different. So it's like two people living in the same body. And so God says he doesn't like hypocrisy. That's why Jesus confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day, the theologians that even knew scripture. They could quote a lot of Bible verses and um, look very nice on the outside, but there was no change in their hearts. And so hypocrisy and dead religion, there's good religion, but there's also dead and bad religion. And so what scares the world out there is when they look at people and they say like, well, this guy says he's a Christian, but what he does on a Friday night and a Saturday night and a Tuesday night and a Black Sunday and Brown Sunday and and, and Suicide Sunday and all that Sunday, you know, and those other days is completely different than when he walks to church. Why? Why is there two people living in the same body? Who are you fooling? And that's why God says even I He loves people that are either hot or cold, but no in-between. They they can't be in-between. So if you want to be in the world, please have fun in the world. Go 100%. If you want to sin, go 100%. But if you want to go for God, go 100% for him. Because otherwise you're you're like an actor. You're pretending and I'm pretending. And so I love this um, definition for to be radically rooted or to be radical. And I actually got it from God Questions, okay? www.godquestions. It's not a Christian um, website. It says, it's one expressing strict adherence to a worldview that is at extreme odds with the cultural norm. 
what is the worldview? What are the lenses that you look through when you read the Bible? What are, what are the way that you want to live? And it's going to be always anti the culture. The culture is consumerism, drive through, even in the church many times, you know. Oh, Khuna, you know, this pastor, it's, it's an hour. An hour is finished already. What are we going to do with the, the next? You know, we should have like said amen already so they can go home and watch the soccer, you know. But the cultural norm is like, hey, just quick drive through church, quick consumerism, quick like, hey, I want to receive. But don't tell me too that there's a cost involved. Colossians says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. He says there's like an overflow of life that comes out of your life when you are rooted in Christ, when you are established in Christ. Walk in him, be seated with him. And so we looked at this last week that that radical call starts with the biggest problem in your life, and that is self, you. Two fingers pointing at you, saying, hey, Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the essence of the gospel. The essence of being a Christian is firstly denying yourself. And so a lot of the modern day Christianity and the modern day stuff that comes out of the West, and especially out of America, is just like, hey, just, hey, we're going to bless you. God wants to bless you, prosper you, so that you can become a better you, a better self-help, self-esteem, self-great. And yet the gospel, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel says, if you want to follow God, you have to die. It's as simple as that. And dying is not nice. I don't know if, if you've spoken to a dead person yet. No, no, they can't speak because dead pe people don't have a voice anymore, Yeah. <laughs> But if we say we're dead, then you don't have an opinion anymore. Isn't that so? You know, you look at that. I don't know. In some cultures, it's weird. I remember once we were up here in Egypt, and then they would take the dead person and put the dead person there, and then everybody would walk around, and, you know, and I think like, whoa, this is crazy. I don't want people to look at me when I'm dead, you know. But this was amazing. This guy was even smiling. I think like, whoa, you know, some cultures are very weird with this stuff, but... That dead person, you can poke them, you can like throw something at them, you can say like, hey, what's your voice? And they don't have an opinion. But too many Christians have too much opinion. And so Jesus invites us to this life, but not because he's a spoil sport, because God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for me. So listen to this in Matthew 16, 24. What does that scripture says? You must come and deny yourself. It's first, it means you have to say no to the world and the flesh, because this flesh of ours is strong. And there's this battle between your flesh and the spirit. So once you commit to Jesus, wow, you have this amazing moment when you get born again. But then there's this lifelong process of being saved, of getting ready saved. You were born again, made a commitment, maybe on a camp, maybe tonight you're going to respond. But then there's this process that you need to come and deny a lot of things. And part of that is the flesh, because this flesh desires to be, to just have immediate gratification. This flesh wants you to like, oh, just enjoy life, enjoy it now. But not just to say no to certain things, but when you say no to the flesh, you say yes to God in many ways. And so that's why God invites us to this place of say, hey, come, come, come buy from me with money that you don't have. Come and exchange and come and, come and, Come and let's exchange. Let's, let, let me show you who I am. Because once you connect with him, 
And this process of holy living, this process of denial is not so that you don't have fun. It actually means that you're going to get fulfilled. You're going to live a life of overflow, a life of abundance, because suddenly you realize why you've been created. And so saying yes to the right thing starts by saying no first. <laughs> saying no sometimes to those temptations and those things in our lives. And that's what sanctification means. Sanctification and transformation is when I am being made holy. I'm living differently. And it's an invitation to life, a different lifestyle. Because you can be so busy over the weekend and just fool yourself, you know, that you must go and rest at work or in, in the faculty tomorrow, or there's a lot of stuff you can do, you know. But filling your life doesn't mean you are full. Your life can be so full of stuff, but you're so empty. And that's what God invites you. He says, you're going to be full. Your joy is going to be full when you come to me. And that's this process of, of holiness. And we don't hear that in the church anymore. We don't hear that people say, hey, you have to be holy because people are afraid to talk about sin. People are afraid to say like, oh, no, 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 just you know, don't call sin, sin. But the moment when we do that, then we lose the power of the gospel. The moment when we say, hey, sin and what is in essence, sin is to miss God's purpose for your life, God's mark for your life, God's fullness in your life. And yeah, when you go to the Middle East, China today, one of my friends are, have been arrested three months ago, one of the pastors there, and he's in jail. And now you think like, oh, now what if I have to go to jail for, for the kingdom? <laughs> and he says, what a privilege. What a privilege. Well, most churches in the Middle East, you can't really be a pastor unless you've been in jail for three years. It's your theological seminary. There's this one lady that always prays for people, you know, to, and I remember, let me not tell that story. There's another guy in, in Egypt because I'm afraid that she prays for me. She, you know, she says, like, hey, you need to be sanctified a little bit. But when we talk about this persecution, Jesus says, if you're really going to follow him, there's going to be persecution. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And that is for me the measurement whether you are truly a disciple or not. Are people persecuting you for the gospel or not? Are you, are you taking, is there any cost for the gospel involved in your life? If there's not, please reevaluate the cost of discipleship. And so I remember going up into middle northern Africa and um, we made an appointment with this one pastor and it took us very long because we first had to just check out all the problems and all this stuff. And, and as we came into this little coffee shop in Cairo, we walked to the back and, um, and we were just sitting there. And I'll never forget it. This pastor walked in and immediately when he walked in, I felt the presence of God like if I've not felt. I, I've never met the guy. I didn't know who he was in the sense of knowing him personally. I, I knew who he was like on paper and we connected through, through another church. The moment I was, we were sitting at the back in a little corner, the moment when he walked into the coffee shop, I knew that he was walking into the coffee shop. And so he walked around and obviously he was looking and then eventually our, our eyes caught each other and he came to sit with me and three other guys. And I couldn't get a word out. And I, and I couldn't speak because of the presence of God on his life. 
Then he started to tell us the story of how his three best friends have already been martyrs for the kingdom. And then what started to happen was it was crazy. I said to him, like, pastor, and just to tell you, he has died. They killed him for the gospel. And I said to him, pastor, what can we pray for you? And he says, well, firstly, please don't let the gospel of the West come to the Middle East. Please pray for us, but don't come. Don't bring that gospel. So I was like, okay, this is quite humbling, you know. Jesus help, you know. I said, but, but what can we pray for the church in the Middle East? I'll never forget his word. He said, pray that the church will embrace its season of martyrdom. Pray that the church will embrace its season of martyrdom. They had a conference. And the conference, the subject of the conference was how to embrace persecution with much joy. And I thought like, <laughs> if we have a conference like that in South Africa or in the West, nobody will come. <laughs> you know, Because the conquerors is how to be victorious in Jesus. God wants to prosper you and give you a title of, of apostle and prophet and king and, and a ring with it that people can kiss and give you lots of money. And I think like, how differently is it when I read the Bible and I realize like, sure, there are many people suffering for the kingdom of God and it's a reality. And I'm not saying go to the Middle East and say, hey mom, I'm going, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, see you later, the church sent me, you know. All I'm saying is the persecution is also here. The reason why a lot of people are not receiving any persecution is because they're not making a stand for Jesus. They're not living holy lives. I'm not saying be fundamental, jump up and down, go and show the scars of Jesus. All I'm saying is like, hey, if you're going to take a stand for Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Are you willing to say no to the opinion of some of the friends? Are you willing to say no? I'm not talking about being fundamental. Just very simple. A radical Christian is somebody that lives holy and is rooted in Christ. And so that means a radical obedience, a radical surrender to him, a radical counting the cost. And part of that is our lives. Now God is doing something amazing in our midst. God is beginning to stir a hunger where people are beginning to say, Lord, but this is real. We want authentic relationship with you. You know, in the Afrikaans service this morning, I just so love it when God's plan comes together, you know. God has got a plan and God has got a purpose. And so now at the end, there's this one guy and I realize this guy's a bit nervous. So I say to him, hey, I want to pray for you. And so God gives me a picture as I'm praying for this guy. He's a bit older working somewhere in Cape Town. So this was the picture. I said, I saw you driving in this car, but it's very, it's a funny picture, but you were sitting at the back of the car for a long time. Then the car was in a major crash. And then the people in front were not there anymore that was driving the car, but you were in the back of the car. It forced you to suddenly start to drive the car, but you feel for all of your life that... It's a broken car. It's been in a crash. The thing can't operate properly, but now you have to drive it. And Jesus invites you 
to come and get into his car where you get into the passenger seat. That's the picture. That's all I prayed for him. (laughs) So he begins to cry and he looks at me and he says, do you know what? When I was young, I was in a major car crash. Some of my close family died. And from there on, I got anxiety and fear attacks for many years. I'm on the strongest medication that you can think of to just subdue my anger, my fear, my traumatic attacks. So did somebody speak to you before the service about my life? I said, yes, Jesus did. (laughs) You know, hallelujah. (laughs) And I'm so excited, yeah? Because that guy will never be the same. It's called the word of knowledge. If you didn't know how it works in 1 Corinthians, it's the gifts of the Holy Spirit where God, and I call it when God pulls your file. <laughs> and God says, today is your day. <laughs> today I'm going to speak to you. Yeah? And, and so this guy had a, had a moment there. And I was just thinking like, Lord, we can do all the nice stuff and try to like have nice coffee at church, but that's not going to change the life. We can have nice banners, have all this stuff, hope, joy, make it flash, all that stuff. But this means absolutely nothing if the presence of God is not there. And see, so God wants people that will be carriers of his presence. Not to be weird or to be spooky, but to be radical rooted in Christ. And that's why scripture says, walk in him, be established in him, be rooted in him. Get into the word. Stop listening to all the nonsense out there. Stop listening to all the YouTube clips. Stop listening. Get into the word. This is the most illiterate biblical generation. But God has got a plan. Amen? And so there's a radical call to become like Christ. There's a radical call to learn from him, to become an apprentice. That's what discipleship means. There's a radical call to become a laborer. To become a disciple maker, not just an event goer. And that means that you, it's going to challenge you. God is going to challenge you and me to live differently. Because you know what? We live in an environment where most of us don't even know our neighbor. We grow up as individuals and then the world says, hey, just do your best. And you just perform. Get your degree, make a lot of money, go up there, make a lot of, you know, get into a lot of debt, buy a nice car, buy a nice house, go a couple of times over overseas, and, and that's fantastic, you know? And, and then become a slave to the bank because you, you, the bank basically owns you. That's very depressing, isn't it? Okay? So some people are like, whoa, <laughs> yeah? But don't be anybody's slave. And what does that mean? It means like, hey, where, did, where God places you, you have to become a disciple maker. You have to become somebody that learns from God, that, that let the kingdom come. And you say, God, I want your kingdom to come there in the law faculty. I want your kingdom to come there in the engineering faculty. And they really need it. Amen? Where's all the engineers? Now there's lots of engineers here. Okay? Okay. Hallelujah. Let the kingdom come. So, so a disciple is somebody that can hear God's voice and be obedient to it. And so a lot of people, if I had the time, I wish I had the time to go around and ask each one of you, what is God speaking to you to at the moment? What is God saying to you? And there'll probably be a third of people in this group of people here tonight that says, hey, I don't think God has spoken to me ever. I don't think I can hear God's voice. Well, firstly, you believe a lie. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And that means that you need to learn, how do I hear his voice? 
Well, it starts with the Bible, the written Bible, but then there's the rhema word of God, where God comes and he speaks into your life and God gives you certain scriptures and he says to you, hey, this is what's gonna happen. This is the call. This is the purpose of your life. This is where you're going. This is, this is, what I've, this is why I've made you. And you know, and then suddenly something begins to like, oh, you know, it's like you get this thing inside of you that says, hey, this is the call of God on my life. And all I want to do is I want to glorify him. I want to live for him. I want to serve him with the rest of my life. Not because he's taking away the life of the world. No, it's simply because I truly have life in him. And so that becoming like him is like you have this desire where I said it this morning where the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. We're going to look at that scripture now. now but when, we, when our lives is with this one purpose, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You can show that next slide. You can jot down all those scriptures. But there's a kingdom culture that God wants to establish through our lives. So if you want to make a decision on who you want to marry, then say, Lord, how is your kingdom come? How is your kingdom going to come through this marriage? Lord, I don't just want the marriage because, hey, I want, don't want to be lonely. Oh, Lord, she's a nice chicken, you know. These shofar ladies, whoa, they are out of this world, you know. They're eternally minded, you know, they're very cool. Come on, ladies, we're backing you, okay? Yeah? They're spiritually minded and they are beautiful, okay? Yeah, yeah, all the single guys, you can clap, yeah, okay? Yes, yes, you know? We have a saying here, let's just spread the rumors. There are, there, I always like to hear, one day I was sitting there at, um, what is this? On route, on a route place, you know? And so I'm sitting with these three guys and they're saying like, you know, we're sitting next to the, I'm sitting next to the table and I'm, Munching away on this, whatever was just a lot of mayonnaise. I just realized, like, a lot of mayonnaise because it came to visit me later. Okay, all the mayonnaise. I just realized, oh, you know, they, cheese, mayonnaise, it's great, but it's not great for the metabolism. Okay, but so, but you can pray over your metabolism. Did you know that? All the ladies go, like, no, no, I'm only joking. You can't pray over your metabolism. Eat healthy, eat healthy, okay? I had a friend, you know, that always prayed over, like, Lord, just increase my metabolism, increase my metabolism. I don't know if God answers prayers like that, but maybe he does if it's out of a pure heart. But so stop interrupting me. Let me, I, I can't remember even what, oh, this was the story. So he's sitting there at the table. Now I'm eardropping to the three guys. He says, oh, is that eardropping? What do you say? Oh, yeah, yeah, same thing, man. I'm just checking you. Okay, so eardropping. Okay, so I'm eardropping and I'm listening. I'm just listening because I'm munching away, trying to get all the mayonnaise down. Okay. And so this one guy is saying, Wow, there's these cool girls in Shofar. But if you go there, you must marry them. And I'm thinking like, wow, that's a cool rumor, yeah? <laughs> and then this other guy, this other guy says, yeah, yeah, but you must realize those girls are very spiritual, you know? And they have these like, they have these, these levels that you go up to. So if you're level three, you can only marry somebody in level three or downwards. You can't... You can't marry up, you know? And then this other guy is like talking about yo yo, you know, but they also do arranged marriages in shofar. And I'm standing there, come on, boys, bring it on. You know, this is great rumors. I'm catching some some hints, you know, because this is great. You know, we have, we have, if you're visiting here, we have a saying here, in the house, in the house, okay? In the house, just like marry somebody in the house. No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Of everybody's attention, yeah. 
So later I figured out it's the encounter series that we do. Encounter one, encounter two. It's just our basic discipleship course. But you can't marry somebody that hasn't done like encounter one if you encounter four, you know? Because, because if you've done encounter four, then you're delivered, you know? But you can't, you know? If you encounter one, it's just basic entry. We, we, we don't operate like that, you know? And I was thinking like we must get a database for this because this is like good stuff, you know? <laughs> Sometimes you must listen to what the enemy says and then you realize, like, yo, yo, that's what we must do, okay? But I enjoyed the conversation so much because I thought like, wow, that's actually what, what the Bible says, you know? The Bible says many people fear the church and dare not even join them because they knew what was going to be the cost. But if the church looks just like the world, we have no power. We have no power. The kingdom won't come. And so the kingdom culture of light is... Not seeking comfort, but holiness and truth. And for Christians, truth is not an intellectual exercise. It flows into a moral lifestyle. If you've encountered truth, it means you'll bear fruit of that truth. Otherwise, you've just become intellectual. You know what's the right thing to do, but you're still sleeping with your girlfriend. Then you've not encountered truth, because firstly, truth is a person. It's Jesus. And once you connect with him, your life will change. You don't want to do anything else. Not because he's a spoil sport, but because you've discovered life. And so there must be a moral exercise. And the world has got no more morality because the world does not want to embrace truth. And so that's where the liberal agenda is going. It's just say, hey, what's good for you? Just like, let's just be tolerant. But God says, hey, you're destroying yourself. You're destroying yourself because you're messing up. Because one day you want to get married and you want to have a healthy relationship, healthy marriage. And how many sexual experiences are you going to take into that marriage? You're watching porn all the time? Well, it's just you and your screen. Huh. Wait till you're 40. And you can't be sexually active anymore because you've had experiences that messed up your brain. That's what porn does. And then you can't respond sexually anymore to the one that you really love because you've realized you've been trapped by the world. Just to have quick fixes. Oh, but we can't talk about those things in church, can we? Because porn is like a personal thing, you know? Not harming anybody. Just finding a little bit of human trafficking and all that stuff, but for the rest. See, you don't have a relationship with a screen. And so the world is just telling you, have, just, just get it quick. Just look on that screen. Just go on in your life. Just like, and it destroys us. It destroys society. Truth needs to be discovered and then obeyed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When you abide in my word, John 8, 31 and 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. How many of you want to be free? Come on, how many of us want to be free? Wow, we all want to be free. And that means you have to discover truth. You have to search for truth and obey truth. Not just a hearer of the word, become a doer. But gee, the culture of darkness says, just go for comfort, go for individualism, go for consumerism, Live in a place of entitlement. 
and let greed and lust drive you. Because it's a quick fix, it's immediately, but then eventually you end up, sure. Now I was in the Ukraine and Russia and some places with Um Johnny. Now some of you remember Um Johnny preached here in the morning service especially. And I think he was here once in the evening service about two years. Now on, between 50 and 55, he was the chemist in Franschhoek and his wife got radically saved. You can ask Chris, he was with me there in Ukraine. But Johnny used to hit his wife. He was an alcohol abuser, physically. And at the age of 55, Johnny discovered Jesus. Johnny is 82 years old. And so to look at him and his teachability and the way he's living, and so this was his last trip to the Ukraine. This one we went on. Halfway through the trip, Um Johnny said, next year when we come, we will do. I said, but, but you said this is your last trip. He says, no, no, when I'm 90, I'm going to have my birthday party here in the Ukraine. Okay. Because at the age of 55, he discovered Jesus, gave up everything, gave up his pharmacy, had six children, three children, and then a bit of a surprise. Triplet boys. Okay. Imagine. Just imagine. Woo. Okay. So <laughs> that's like, honey, we're going to multiply, okay? Oh, how many? With, with three more. <laughs> he actually talks about this funny moment when he was standing there in the passage with one of these boys when he was two years old and he was just losing it and just say, you must do this, you must do that. And this boy was sitting there because the boy did something. I don't know if he took crayons and put it on the wall or just, you know. And after this whole ranting with his boy, the boy said, um, and he was just like getting to himself. The boy looked at him and says, um, Daddy, I'm, I'm, I'm not Usher. That's the name of the other boy. So the dad was shouting at the wrong boy. Yeah? <laughs> that just happens when you have identical triplets. Okay? <laughs> but they packed up everything, <laughs> went to the Ukraine, you know, and started a Bible school. Many young people like are here tonight just got trained. And we went on a trip just to go, all these Bible school disciples are now leaders of churches. Ukraine, right into Russia, just changing the world for Jesus. And I think, Lord, if you can use an alcoholic when he's 55, it's never too late. It's never too late. Because that's the Jesus we serve. But are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to seek the kingdom first? You know, a lot of people say, Lord, give me a job and then I will serve you. Some other people pray differently and say, God, where can I serve you? And I realize you're going to provide a job then. Just a different way of doing the kingdom. Seek the kingdom first and then all things will be added. Ooh, not many amens. Amen. Say, so God, where do you want me to serve? And when I serve there, whoa. So I've got another challenge. These days, people are just like floating around one church to another, just going. But if you are joining a church, then please ask God's opinion about where you should join. Because I strongly believe in the local church. Okay? You must join somewhere because you must be rooted there. And God is doing something amazing here with, with us in Stellenbosch. There's a couple of us as pastors that have become good friends. The pastor of Josh Jen, 
We'll be preaching next Sunday morning here. Cross of One Hope, Every Nation, just great churches that God is, that's working together. We, even the Baptist pastor and the Forum de Oumuyan, great stuff that God is doing. You know, we pray on the mountain here as pastors together. Not everybody wants to work together, but hey, let's just go with those who want. But your life will only be changed when you're rooted in family, in accountability, in community. So join that church, but don't just join the church because it's got a nice band or nice chicks. Ladies, okay? Join the church because God told you to join that church because why? I'm not a consumer. I want to serve there. I want to be planted there. I want to grow there. I want to be challenged there. Don't join a church that you're not challenged at to grow, to be obedient. Because when you work out here, walk out here, you don't just want a piece of paper called a degree. You want a heart after God that has been challenged to be changed. They don't just want to be a consumer and, and live in a little palace somewhere. But I want to be a world changer. I want, to, I want God to use me. And that's, that's what the kingdom is about. So law scripture, just a radical community. Once we have learned to be radically obedient to God, and that's our lifestyle, it's worship. More than the songs we sing is the obedience during the week. That's what life is about. That's about following. And that's why God calls us to covenant relationships. John 15, he talks about that. And that's why he says we must pray our father. That's why spiritual family matters and accountability. A greater vision than just yourself. Not just inviting God to say, God, come and fulfill my vision. And once I'm fulfilled, then I will serve you. No, you say, God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to worship you. I'm, I've been invited to this amazing story of God. It's called history. He's a story. God's story. And he says, I want to use you broken people like you and you and you and you and you. I want to use you. But God is not sentimental about his kingdom. We see that with the life of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he starts to walk. He says, come follow me. God's kingdom will come with or without you. With, with or without me. God's kingdom will come in Stellenbosch with or without Shofar or not. He's not dependent on us for his kingdom. I mean, that's quite humbling because sometimes we think God must use me. I've got an entitlement. But that's why when we really love each other, Galatians 2 verse 3, 6 verse 2 and 3 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We're going to talk about authentic relationships next week where we talk about trust and all these things, being real, the challenge of broken people coming together. Because do you know what? You're not going to like everything I say. I'm going to offend you and you're probably going to offend me. But that's part of life. Get married. Wonderful. You are so romantic. Just wait a moment till that lady tells you, you know, and, and I, this is, this is just between the two of us, you know. My daughter is here as well, so I'm not going to mention her, look at her, but in any case, so, but she knows my wife has been in the army. She's a very gentle lady. But sometimes, you know, when life gets tough and we get busy and all that stuff, and then, then I want to, I want to sort of go into this place of what you call a bit of self-pity, you know. I want to say to God, God. Have, have you seen how much I suffer? 
Lord, it's so tight. And then, then, especially us as men, when you have a bit of flu, it feels like the end of the world, you know? It just feels like Armageddon is going to happen. The rapture is going to happen. Everybody's going to die now. But praise God, that's why we don't bear children, because we will not make it. I actually have a friend. He's like a big guy. He played for Marty's first team. He's like an amazing guy, but very strong and all that stuff. And he got married, and then came the first child. Well, the first child was about to come. So she was quite pregnant, like really pregnant. You know, when they start walking like this, like, you know, beautiful. Just see how ladies glow when they're pregnant. And so he went in for the scan. You know, he missed the first one, but the second one. So he's going to be brave. Now, the scan, some of you don't know what the scan is. But the lady lies there and they put a bit of gel on the stomach. And then they have this little thing and they put it on the stomach, you know, and they look at And then you look at this picture this video george and them george and Irene just had a scan okay because they're pregnant so they're wonderful okay so so now they're looking at this tv screen and then you like see the heartbeat and you see all the time you get all excited you know and and um but but he didn't last very long the moment when the doctor put that little scanner on his stomach this guy just passed out okay this big rugby guy that played against duckies and everyone out there and was the biggest, you know, lock and the strong man on the rugby field. Nobody could tell him anything. The moment when they touched his lady's stomach, the doctor put him on pills. He tried very strong. He drank three Barocas and five Red Bulls for the next scan. But, but he just made it after 30 seconds just passed out you know that's why ladies bear children but so what am i trying to say oh okay self-pity so so here i'm standing i've got this bit of a hay fever attack just thinking that i'm don't feel so good and all that stuff and and here comes my wife full of compassion and mercy i'm lying there now she's very merciful but she looks at me she says Stop yourself, pity, and get up. The kingdom must come. My goodness. That demon of infirmity left me immediately. I, I was delivered immediately. It wasn't so much about the flu, but just the self-pity of, Oh God, nobody's looking after me. Have you noticed me down here? I'm half dead. <laughs> I can't breathe properly. Yeah, and then we start to speak differently with God. Have you noticed? I'm suffering so desperately for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have this other friend. He walked up to me and says, Have you noticed Paul and Silas? When they were in prison, they worshiped the Lord. Start worshiping the Lord. Get over your sickness. And I'm thinking like, yo, thank you for friendship. Thank you for covenant relationship. Thank you for bearing my burden and casting my burden out, you know. <laughs> but it's just so crazy when we come with that self-pity parties, you know. We think like we have the only big problem in the world. But you know, the one thing that will never be able to happen in this life, not one person will be able to stand before God one day and say to him that you have not known my suffering. 
And I've suffered more than what you suffered. Not one person will be able to accuse God one day for suffering more than what Jesus suffered on the cross. So suddenly the, pl the playing field becomes level because there's a God that cares about you. God will never ask you to do something that he has not done himself. It's not a God like all the other gods that says through fear you must serve him. It's not a God that is, not, that is indifferent to your pain and to your needs. That's why the cross will become the judgment of mankind. That's why God will come back as a judge because he's already shown his love that you and I must respond to. Not one man will say, or one woman will say, God, do you know what? I, I, I had a bad set of cards that was dealt to me. Not one man can stand in self-pity before God and say, God, you know, I didn't have a father or mother and therefore I just did all that. So I'm not belittling the stuff we're going through. I'm just putting it in context. Suffering towards the suffering of Christ. All other gods, you have to serve them through fear or manipulation and you're not sure even of eternal life. Every other religion, secular humanism included, where you become God, not one can talk about that love that God has for you, that God has for me. I don't know if you have that video clip of Ravi. Do you have that? It's an audio clip. And you know, to what degree do you hunger and thirst for his will in your life? You really hunger after him. And I believe until we demonstrate that to ourselves, we'll be like a leaf tossed by the wind. Listen to the life of Henry Martin. He had warts covering the back of his hands, warts on his faces, eyebrows, eyelashes singed. He was not a welcoming looking man. He was a Cambridge scholar. And people tell us that when he was a scholar at Cambridge and the cricket games and all of those would be played, he'd be standing behind a tree someplace, always afraid to go and get involved in a conversation with anybody, so conscious about the warts that covered his body and the unattractive face that he had. He was a genius. Do you know, a lovely young girl fell in love with this man because of the mind that he had and the kind of gentleman that he was. Her name was Lydia. Henry Martin was one day sitting in a church service and somebody was talking about India and the need for the mission, missionary, the need for the gospel. And young Henry Martin in his 20s, his heart began to pulsate and throb with the need for telling the people of India the gospel of Jesus Christ. He walked away from there, his head in the clouds, asking God if that's what God really wanted of him, even though he considered himself such an unworthy servant. You know what happened in this man's life? He went on, knocked on the door of the girl who was dearest to him in all the world, who had caused his heart to pound with a deep passion and love and romance and commitment to her. And he said, Lydia, God has asked me to go to India as a missionary. I'm not worthy of that calling, but he's asked me to go. Would you join with me after we are married? Let's go to India and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said to him, Henry, there's one part of the world I never want to go to. I don't want to go to India. 
And he said, how can you make such a statement? She says, I don't know, but my heart has that. I do not want to go. He loved her. He pleaded and begged even for a short term to trust him and go with him. And finally, they came to a head-on collision course on this. And Henry Martin says when he was praying one day, he began to struggle in his heart. Is it going to be Lydia? Or is it going to be India? Is it going to be Lydia? Is it going to be India? When it dawned on him, it really wasn't Lydia or India. It was Lydia or God. This man came to my country in India. And from there, he went to Persia. He was dragged across a desert in chains. He suffered much at the hands of his tormentors. There are churches in Calcutta that bear his name today. He went to India and then went on to Persia. He died when he was 31 years old. Do you know what he gave to the world before he died at age 31? The translation of the New Testament in Hindustani, in Persian, and in Arabic. Three versions of the New Testament are one man who died at age 31. Unless you and I realize what the university is doing to threaten Christianity, unless you and I realize what secularism is doing to devane Christianity, unless you and I realize that Christianity is not singled out by scholars to make any strident gains in the next decade, minimal gains in the next decades, more by biological growth than by anybody else. Is it possible that God wants you to make a difference, a significant difference, but you're really not willing to hear of it? I got down on my knees after I came back from India, and I said, all right, God, I'll be candid with you. I'm very comfortable where I am. I'm very comfortable where I am. And yet I have to say this, if God really wants to uproot me from there and put me somewhere else, am I willing to do it? And the answer to you is yes. Sure. <clears throat> is that too tough? Maybe. Is that huge? Maybe. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he has not done himself. Is the message radical? No. It's just normal. Normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. Ordinary people discovering the truth of Jesus and willing to lay down everything because they've found the pearl of greatest price. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.